Whoever put together that video is more optimistic about there being hope than I am. Look, I'm just going to be real. Kicking a field goal. I take back everything I said about Alabama kickers. That's hard to do. I'm just telling you it's hard to do from 10, 10 yards, much less, where they're kicking from. I still think I could do better, but no, I'm just kidding. All right, well, I uh, hope you enjoyed our second installment of our bringing in videos. We've got two more, and I will say there is a twist coming next week that I am particularly excited about. So you make sure that you're here next week uh, to experience that because that'll be a lot of fun. So we are going through our Bring It In series focused on the unity in the church and how we, as the body of Christ, unify together. If you got your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1. Last week, we talked how every team has a reason. right? Every team has a reason for existing, right? And that reason ultimately is glory. Now for a ball team, it's, it's our own glory, right? The, for the Cardinals of Ele- Hazel Green Elementary School, it was the, our own glory to, to beat the, the Cougars, right? To beat the, the end team and, you know, to exert our dominance over them. For us as the body of Christ, we live for eternal glory. We live for the glory of of God. And so uh, we talked about how every team has a reason. This week we are talking about the name. The name. Every team has a name. That name is a reflection of multiple things, but every team has a name. I, I think it's interesting, and I've, I've shared this with you before. You know, as a pastor, I've always grown up teaching my kids, you know, that the devil is, is bad. Um, you know, the devil's not good. And then we moved to Elkmont, and we planted a church in Elkmont, and I find myself wearing hats with pitchforks, you know, and my, I'm going to tell you, my, my youngest son, or my oldest son, had a hard time with it, like, Daddy, Daddy, like, I remember he, he leaned over one day, and we, we hadn't even started our service yet, we were doing some, something in the community, and he leaned over and nudged me, he's like, Daddy, isn't the devil bad? I'm like... Well, hey, okay, buddy. So, I and I had to break down theologically why it's okay to root for the Elkmont Red Devils. But every team has a name, and that name implies a lot as it relates to that person. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in one verse today. Don't think that means I'm going to cut it short, all right? But we're going to be in one verse today, all right? So limited content. Listen to what it says, Philippians 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or I see you and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, if you know anything about Romeo and Juliet, Juliet poses a question in scene. Two, act two, or act two, scene two, uh, she asks Romeo, what is in a name? What is in a name? Now, that was a harmless enough question. It took three more acts to realize that a name is a little more important than Romeo and Juliet initially thought. In fact, it would cost them both 
their lives. And so the name that we carry, the name that we represent, says something about who we are. And so let's look uh, in our notes, three implications of a team name. Whether we are a ball team, whether we are the body of Christ, when, as we represent a name, there are three implications that we're going to look at. And the first one is, our name represents a place. A name represents a place. Now, I brought y'all a special treat. Um, <laughs> this is my senior year Hazel Green High School alternate uniform jersey. This was by far the coolest uniform we had. Um, I loved this uniform. This was, it was super, like, it was, you know, it's usually hot in baseball season and all that. Not like our summer season that we've, we had recently. Uh, but it's usually hot, and so we, we love these jerseys. I am of the opinion that had we worn these jerseys in the first round of the state playoffs, we still would have won. All right, I, I blame I blame us not wearing those jerseys. We had to use our wear our home whites, and we lost. Right, so uh, but I I loved this jersey. But I had a coach. His name was Coach Bell, Jeff Bell. Kind of he's he's big in the Alabama high school, and a lot of people know him. Um, coached at Bob Jones for a time, but uh, he he was at Hazel Green at the time, and he always had a saying: when we would go anywhere. Uh, we wouldn't ride as a team. Most of the time we would drive separately and get there. And so we'd be going into gas stations and restaurants without the team. And he said, listen, man, if you're, whenever you put on this jersey, he said, you're not just representing the name on the back. You're not just representing yourself. You're representing the name on the front as well. That HG tells people that you are representing a place. So the way you act is a representation of where you're from, of where your home is. He would always say that. Now, y- y'all have heard coaches say similar things, right? Why? Because teenagers act a fool, right? Teenagers act a fool sometimes, and when we were acting a fool, I don't know how he found out. We could be in Florence, we could be wherever. I don't know if he went to every gas station between Hazel Green and Florence, but he would find out if we had acted a fool, and son, we'd run foul poles until he got tired. That was his exact words, right? And I mean, it, but, but there was a reason Because a name, the name on the back is a reflection on us. The name on the front front is a reflection on a place. Philippians 1.27, listen to that first part again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Every one of us, if you are a child of God, you have a relationship with Christ, you are bearing the name of Christ. When we look at this verse in the Greek, uh, this, the, the phrase manner of life is a single word that's used in the Greek language. The, the Greek word is politomai, where we get the word political. Um, it deals with an issue of citizenship. And so, matter of fact, some translations, like the New Living Translation, actually say, as citizens of heaven, act in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And so the issue in our manner of life is an issue of citizenship. Why? Because the way we act, the way that we live our life, is a reflection on where we're from. Just like when we, I put on this jersey... It is, which by the way, I did last night. Let me, I just don't remember it fitting as snug as it did. Um, I didn't realize they had compression fit back then, but they, they must have. Um, and so, and so when we put on this jersey, we're not just a reflection of ourselves anymore. 
Right? We're a reflection of, the, of a place. And so Paul says, listen, your citizenship, if you are to behave in a way, you need to behave as a citizen of heaven. Why? Because we reflect our home. And us as believers, this world is not our home anymore. I may live in, on 24609 Hickory Drive in Elmont, but I'm telling you, that's not my home. That's not, that's not my permanent residence. I am just passing through. 1 Peter 2.11, I believe, talks about us being strangers and pilgrims in this world. The world's not going to get you. Quit trying to fit into the world. That's not the point of the Christian existence because this world is not your home. So we shouldn't be living for it. We shouldn't be investing so mightily in it. He, he, he makes it even clear, Philippians 3.20, just a couple pages over in your Bibles if you want to look there. Listen to what it says. He makes this point even more clear. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. If you are a child of God in this room, there's been a moment in time in your life where you confessed your sins to Christ and you surrendered your life over to the Lordship of Christ, your citizenship is not of this world. And so any attempt to fit your life into the pattern of this world is a futile attempt. It's useless. And in fact, it's counterproductive to the gospel, as we'll see. But see, for Philippi, they would have understand, understood this terminology very, very well. Philippi was a Roman colony. And so the Romans uh, established Philippi. And so these were Roman citizens that lived in an alien country. So they lived in Philippi, a place that was not their home, but yet they still lived with all of the... Um, regulations, they still lived with all the freedoms and all of the responsibilities that came from being a Roman citizen. This is why Paul uses this language. This is why he uses the language of citizenship. You're a citizen of Rome, but you live in Philippi. You happen to reside in Philippi. And so for us as the church, we may reside in Elkmont or East Limestone or Tony or Harvest or West, or West Limestone or wherever. We may reside there, but our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. How do we know that? Because our name's on the census. Our name is written in the book of life. And as a result, our lives should look according. So when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, he's saying reflect where you live. Reflect where you come from. It's not just about you. You're not just a representation of you. You're a representation of where you come. Do you know why so many people are turning away from the church? It's not because heaven is any less glorious than it ever was. But it's because our lifestyles do not reveal that citizenship. In your notes, it is hypocrisy to speak for one place when you are living for another. It's hypocrisy to speak for one place when you're living for another. For many of us in the church, man, we talk a big game, especially in rural North Alabama. We know some of the terminology right? Just enough to be dangerous. We talk about God's grace and we talk about God's mercy. And if God wills, we'll do this. And we pray and, and we pray before our meals and, and we talk a big game. 
But when people look at our life, our citizenship, our passport, it does not reveal heaven. Because our lives are wrecked, because our lives are spent pursuing things that are only going to satisfy in this world. And so where is your home? Who are you representing? Because you will act like where you're from. You're going to act like where you're from. Uh, I went on a mission trip, one of the coolest mission trips I've ever went, the coolest mission trip I've ever went on. Uh, We went in college, we went to Tasmania, which is the little island off the south tip of Australia. Uh, And we had a ball. It helped that the Qantas, the airline we used, went on strike and we got to spend a 16 hour, 14 or 16 hour layover in Sydney, Australia. That was awesome. I got to see all the, all the stuff in Sydney, the Opera House and all that cool stuff. But in Australia, I remember we got picked up by our missionary that we were going to be helping for two weeks. We were taken to his house and he sat us down and the first thing out of his mouth was, don't act like an American while you're here. Well, hang on, Tim. Like, that's what, I, that's what I am. I is one. So I'm going to, you know. And he said, here's the deal. He said, Tasmania and Australia, there's a very laid-back culture. They are the chillest people you will ever meet. They want to go with the flow. Nobody really wants to stand much over anyone else. And American behavior is constantly, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And he said, here's what the Tasmanians think of you as. They think of you as tall poppies. Now, if you're looking across a field of poppy, that's a flower, kids. All right, you're looking across a field of flowers, right? And you see those one or two flowers that stick up above the rest. It just ruins the uniformity of the whole thing. And so what, what do you got to do? You got to go over there and chop down the tall poppy because it's standing out. It's out of place. And he said, if, we, if you act like you're an American in Tasmania, it will cut people off from the gospel. They won't hear what you have to say because all they're trying to do is get away from the tall poppy, right? They're just trying to get away from you. They want to do their own thing, and they're tired of it. But, it was, but inevitably, as the weeks would go on, we would act American, and we would do rambunctious things, and we'd run up in a store, and we'd start playing games and messing with each other, and, and the, the missionary would have to stop us. And like, guys, remember what we talked about. Stop, stop doing, you know. But why? Because it comes naturally to rep where we're from. For a child of God, your job is not to find the list of do's and don'ts and try to abide by them. Our goal as a child of God is not to run away from something, but to pursue someone. And as we do that, He changes us. We don't change ourselves. He changes us. We live like our citizenship is in heaven, not because of any ability of our own, but because God has set us free from the kingdom of darkness. We are no longer residents of earth, of darkness. We are residents of his marvelous light. And so we should reflect that. But it is hypocrisy when we speak for one place and we live for another. So where is your home? Where is your home? And do you have a heavenly home waiting you that you're just passing through this world, but you have a home, a mansion prepared for you? You have a relationship with Christ? If so... You should be repping that home. The second thing that we see, we see a place revealed by a name, but the second thing we see is we see a people 
revealed by name. Now, I, I'm of the opinion that God has built us with an innate desire. Every single one of us have an innate desire to belong to something and someone. We have a desire to belong, a desire to fit in. So when I was a student pastor, I made a habit of going and eating lunch with students. Uh, a lot of times it was the middle school students, and I'd go and I'd eat lunch with the students, and we'd have a good time. I'd cut up with them and all that good stuff, and that was just something that I did when I was a student pastor. Uh, and I remember one time going to a particular school, and I went and sat down with some of our students, and it was a table of about 20 kids, and they just kind of scooted to the side and made room for me. Uh, and as we started talking, they started, they told me something very curious. They said, you see, we're the loners of the school. We're the outcasts of the school. And I thought for a second. I went, guys, y'all barely had room for my big old self at this table. I got news for you. In calling yourself outsiders and loners, you have, in, you have, in fact, made a place where you belong. Congratulations, you're a click. Like, you're there. Like, you have a place to belong. Even people that are adamant about, I'm a loner, have an innate desire in them to belong to something or somewhere. I believe this to be true. I believe the body of Christ. God has, revert, re, uh, God has reserved a special unity only to be experienced in his body, in the body of Christ. He has, he has reserved a special unity for mankind in the body of, and bride of Christ, in his church. Listen to what it says. Uh, this is in, in 127 there. It says, So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Now this is unique about the book of Philippians. Paul addresses a lot of things that are going wrong in a lot of churches in his letters. In Church of Corinth, it is awful, right? In Colossians, there's theology issues. In other churches, there's, there's all these different issues in these different churches. We don't see him addressing a single error in the church of Philippi. In fact, his letter is the warmest letter they write. He tells us that he wrote it with his own hand. He didn't even use a scribe. He wrote it with his own hand to show the Philippians how much he loved them. Remember, he's writing in prison, but he's writing his, how much he loves them and encouragement in the faith. And so understanding the unity that they had he tells them to stand firm with one spirit and with one mind. In your notes, the testimony of the church, not just the church at Philippi, but the church, even Big C, should be a group of indivisible individuals. A group of indivisible Individuals. If you are a part of the body of Christ, you should be a part of an entity that cannot be divided, but that allows you to function with all of your quirks and all of your um, weaknesses and all of your strengths and should be used together, working in harmony with one another to serve the kingdom of God to the utmost capacity. This is the design. This should be the testimony of the church. But we look around and we see quite the opposite. Man, we can see some of the most trivial things 
that divide churches today. Not even big, but I'm talking like individual local bodies of believers, right? You change the paneling in the church and people leave, right? Because people did that. People, people served in that. I, I thought about when you uh, miss. Uh, I thought I remember this, Barbara, when you were talking about your dad building this church. I, when you first came in, I was like, I don't know how she's going to take this because we changed a lot. But I thought, you know, if, there's, if this is the body of Christ, if this is a kingdom of God thing, then even though there's changes, we understand that methods change and things look different. But the message of the gospel is what stays the same. The reason why there's unity is not because everybody's the same. Good night. Look, there are people in the church that I find really weird. And then I don't necessarily just want to you know, spend all this time with. Like, There's people that get on my nerves in the church sometimes. But I love what my mentor used to say. Joel Carwile from Athens. He used to say, you are somebody's weirdo. All right, So just understand that if you're thinking somebody is weird and hard to get along with and they're just grating on your nerves, understand that there is someone in the world that's thinking the exact stinking thing about you. All right? It's not that we're all the same, right? You're somebody's weirdo and you think somebody's weird. All right? That's just how it is. But it's the body of Christ when they work together, when they're called together for a specific reason and to represent a name that is bigger than any individual, when they're called to do that, there's unity. And it's God using all of those things to unify us together. It's what makes the body of Christ as effective as it is. So we should be an indivisible individuals, made up of a group of indivisible individuals. There's strength in numbers, right? Our spirit, he says, one spirit and one mind. Our spirit being informed by the spirit, being informed by the Holy Spirit that allows us to look past trivial things and to look at things that have eternal weight. These are the things that God allows us to do, but we only are doing that when we're on mission together. But this is, this is the point of the church. But he says to stand firm, to stand together instead of backbiting, instead of talking about one another, instead of running each other down, to stand firm, stand together. That's how we stand the test of time. Y'all, it's, we've been doing it since Jesus. The church has been around since Jesus, right? And it comes from people that are standing firm. Now listen, I, we know that that's not reality in many churches, that's what it should be. That should be the testimony of this church, and by the way, in every denomination. Yeah, we have differences. There's probably good reason why we don't worship with other churches every Sunday because of theological differences we may have. But dadgummit, the world should not see our differences greater than the things that unite us. That's the problem in the church today. Is we're known for what divides us more than we're known for what unifies us. We're known for our theological discrepancies over the, the, what we claim to be the only thing that really matters in this life. The gospel of Jesus. But we strain at a gnat. And we allow a camel to pass through. But to stand firm, thirdly and finally... We see a pursuit, we see a place, we see a people, a place to belong. In the church, you find a place to belong. I'll say, you find a place to belong when you invest. And you can come and go as, as you please. But man, when you invest in a place, 
When you invest in the church, you find a place to belong. Thirdly and finally, we find a pursuit. Listen to what the last part of this verse says. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we stand firm together. We stand with one another. But as we're standing with one another, we are also fighting like cats and dogs. Paul uses a compound word here. Uh, when we look at the Greek, the word striving side by side is a one compound word. This is when a knowledge of the Greek is, is really fantastic. So this, this word, the, the first word, the, the striving there, the root word is athleo. All right, where we get the word athlete. It means to work. It means to wrestle. It means to fight. All right, it, mean, it means to get after it. It means to do some work. It means to get going, right? To produce spiritual sweat in your life. To work toward things of God. This is the terminology of athleo, right? This is striving. We are working and we are wrestling, if we're not careful, without the prefix, we may think that we should be wrestling with one another. Yeah, we'll stand together, but man, we're going to fight like cats and dogs while we're doing it, right? That's not what we have there because we see the prefix of the word is the word soon, right? And here's what's so neat. The word soon is used 16 times. That prefix is used 16 times in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is all about unity. And 16 times we see this prefix soon, which literally means with or together. So when we are not, we're not just striving, we're not just fighting, we're not just doing the best we can. We hear people say that kind of stuff all the time. I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps and I'm just doing the best that I can. It's not enough just to do the best that you can according to this passage of Scripture. Because we're not just striving, but we are striving side by side. I'm not just striving on my own. I pray that at Lindsay Lane North and Elmont, Alabama, that I'm striving alongside you and alongside you and alongside you and alongside you at home. I pray that we are striving together. This is the body of Christ. This is unity. This is how we come together. We're unified under a name and we strive side by side. Are we fighting? Absolutely. But we are fighting the kingdom of darkness. We are pushing back the kingdom of darkness wherever it is. We are making it hard to go to hell from wherever we exist and wherever we live. We are fighting and pushing together. This is the picture of the body of Christ. Wrestling, standing firm, having each other's back and fighting like the dickens together to see God's will accomplished in the world that we live in. In your notes, finally, it's not just about finishing well. I pray that my life be like the Apostle Paul. When Paul looked back at the end of his life, talking to Timothy, and he said, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the course, and I've kept the faith. I pray that that can be said about my life. I pray that I can look back at my life with no regrets as Paul did. But who did he write that to? He wrote it to Timothy. Who was Timothy? Timothy was somebody he was taken with him. Timothy, I'm pursuing Christ, and I want you to come with 
me. Paul went very rarely did he go places on his own. He took people with him. It's not just about finishing well, but refusing to finish alone. This is when we think like the body of Christ. Not about our individual, not about the name on the back. When we really start thinking about the kingdom of God, we're not thinking about just me. I want Alan Ostrisky to finish well, but I want the kingdom of God to be represented faithfully. And that doesn't happen by an individual. It happens from a collective body of believers. It happens in investment in his church who he has bought with his blood and who can storm the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. This should be the mission of our life. The name that we bear implies We don't just represent a place. We're not just representing heaven, but we're representing a people. And we are pursuing the mission that God has placed on our life. This is what it means to represent, to be citizens of heaven, to rep the name of the church that Christ has given us, to represent him in places that are far away from him. This is what it means. It doesn't, you don't get there, my thinking, individually. But I will say this. You can't lead anybody where you haven't already been. Can't do it. You can't lead somebody where you haven't already been. And so with every head bow and eye closed, so we go into a time of response. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, and you are the most important person in this room, There's not unity, there's not reason, there's not the name. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, it's time for lack of a better terminology and oversimplification, it's time for you to sign up. It's time for you to register for the team. But if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that God sent His Son to die on the cross for you. He loved you enough knowing that you you would do what you've done. That you would sin, that you would blow it, that I would sin, that I would blow it. He sent His Son to die for you. He gave Himself as a sacrifice for many. And if you will believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He died on the cross for you and He rose again on the third day, if you will confess your sins to Christ and you will make him the Lord you will place him on the throne of your life you will surrender your life to the lordship of Christ you can have a relationship with Jesus today you can experience what we've been talking about today the unity that's found as we unite under the only one who is truly worthy So if that's you and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to have counselors in the back of the room that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. You can nail that down today. Uh, Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you just don't know. Maybe it's been a long time and you you just don't know. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Whatever it is, man, we've got counselors that would love to talk to you. Maybe you're here and maybe you're convicted because you, you know that you're a part of the church, Big C. You know that Christ is in your life, but you haven't committed and you haven't surrendered yourself to a body of believers. You haven't identified yourself. You haven't joined arms with a body of believers. And maybe God's calling you to north. 
God's calling you here to serve and to get serious about his body as it is growing and moving in Elkmont, Alabama. I want you to know there's counselors that would love to talk to you about that as well. How you can become a member of Lindsay Lane. Whatever decision that you need to make, I want to give you the tangible opportunity to respond right now. So if you're hearing the sound of my voice, would you just respond? As soon as I say amen, would you just get up from your seat and respond and find one of these counselors in the back? Father God, give us boldness. Give us strength as we follow you. Uh, God, though none go with us, I pray that we would still follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads and hearts still bowed, it's still a safe place. If you would, if you need to make a decision for Christ, just respond. Just get up from your seat. I need to become a member. I need to receive Christ. I need to get my baptism in order as we've seen demonstrated today. Whatever it is, I pray that you would make that decision right now. In the quietness of this moment, no one looking around, would you respond? Counselors are ready. Ready to receive you. How about you? How about you? There's one other way that I can tell you how to respond. When you came in today, you received a bulletin. If you're here in person, you received a bulletin. And inside that bulletin is a Connect card. Man, we would love to have a record of the decision that you made. On that Connect card at the bottom, there's some boxes that you can fill in. If you made a decision today or you would like to make a decision today, would you mark one of those boxes and one of our staff, myself, Will, or someone, will contact you. We'll get with you. Man, we'll talk with you through whatever it is that you need to talk to. Maybe you just need to have a conversation with a pastor. You got questions that you need answers for. Man, check that box. I'd love to follow up with you on whatever decision that you need to make. If you're watching online, there's a digital connect card. If you would, you can send North Connect to 31996. Send the words North Connect to 31996. You'll be connected to our online connect card from there. You can let us know if you're visiting with us. That's great. We want to know that as well. Uh, but if you need to make, uh, make your decision known, you can check the box there. It'll come to the exact same place, uh, and you can make that decision known as well. But don't, don't leave this moment. Don't walk away from the Holy Spirit presence that desires to work and to move in your life. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your message. I pray that your word would do what it does, that it would never turn back void. God, that you would unite us, that we would represent you as individuals and as your body. Give us great unity. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in your holy name we pray.